Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your uh, many blessings to each one of us. We're glad that we can be here in a place of um, like-minded believers learning and being reminded of the precious truth that we have received, not because of any goodness on our part, but because of your grace and your mercy toward us. So we thank you for that. We ask that the spirit of truth would give us understanding, not just a cognitive understanding, Lord, but a practical understanding of the truths we study today, that we might be more effective in reaching people for your kingdom. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So most of you are probably aware that the Emanuel Institute is a late training program. Program is not the right word to use for the Michigan Conference. It's our late training department. And we shuffled things around this last year a little bit by bringing the, the uh, Emanuel Institute into our Sabbath School Personal Ministries Department. So I work as the Associate Director in that department for our conference. Our focus and our goal is to train lay members, church members, in effective soul winning. And sometimes when we say soul winning, it, it is, we, we have a narrow view of that as having to do with giving out glow tracks, knocking on doors, maybe giving Bible studies. But soul winning really is the essence of everything we do as a church. Now, we studied that on our very first uh, uh, session on Sunday. Uh, for those who were here for that, I gave an overview of what we were doing this week. And then I, we highlighted that from Scripture, that that great gospel commission drove the early church, and it should be driving the church today. Every one of us is not only called but equipped by God to be effective in reaching souls for the kingdom. Granted, we have different strengths and different weaknesses. We have different talents. But none of those differences exempts us from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, having said that, there, there are, are things that will help us to be more effective in knowing those things. And that's one of the major roles in the early church of the pastoral ministry was to train the churches for effective service. What's happened today is in most of our churches, the mindset is we make sure that we have a pastor and we pay our tithes and offerings so that he can do effective service. And maybe the church might be able to get a Bible worker and the pastor and the Bible worker can do effective service and, and these kinds of things. And what happens when we do that, besides hindering the work of the gospel, is that we rob ourselves of the experience the Lord wants to give us. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was I was talking to after the session the other day. Um, somebody came up, and, and I wish I had brought it up in the session, but we had shared the idea that here in, in North America, I didn't say that. In fact, Cameron and I didn't say that. We just covered the idea of what we call a pastor, very pastor-centered mindset in ministry. But it's not that way around the world in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We talked about how, and we're going to get into this in detail in the next couple days, how there's been a transition to where we are now and what we used to be, even as Seventh-day Adventists. We were much more like the early church, and every member was active in spreading the gospel. But that's still happening in places in the world. And the ironic thing is, the fewer, let's see, the more churches that a pastor has, the more healthy and growing those churches are. So we have people today say, and I've had people come up meeting and say, but you don't understand, our church, we don't, we, we don't hardly ever see our pastor because he has three churches. But Cameron and I just interviewed a guy. It, 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 it was ironic to me. I laugh every time I do this because I'm thinking, here's a guy, he's from, uh, I think he's from Ghana. They sent him here to the seminary to learn how to pastor. He pastors 19 growing churches. Yeah, let's send him to North America where we're not growing. 
And teach him what? So anyway, that, I'm sorry, I'm being a little cynical there, but not that there aren't things to learn, but in other parts of the world, the work is growing, and it grows where there aren't as many pastors. Now, that doesn't mean that the philosophy is to get rid of all the pastors, but the role of the pastor is one to train the members, and we'll be talking about that as we go this week. So this week, what we're highlighting is not just the ways that we can personally be active in, in ministry and in mission, but we're going to be covering throughout this week uh, all different areas of our how our churches operate, from the planning and strategy to some of the hum, what may seem humdrum things like board meetings, to how your, your leaders are chosen. And all of this, all of these things can be done in a way to either hinder growth or enhance growth and move the work. And so that's just a brief synopsis of what we're trying to accomplish this week. Uh, there's a lot that we're, we're, we're sharing from uh, a project we've taken on right here in Michigan in one of our pastoral districts. And we're, and I say we, I mean myself, my director, Cameron DeVazier, our ministerial director, Royce Naiman, and then his associate, Wes Peppers, who was here this morning. But we've got boots on the ground in 17 of our churches here in Michigan, and not just from the conference office saying, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this? But we're taking a hard look and doing stuff in those churches to try to shift the focus. And it's one thing to talk about becoming more evangelistic, but talking about it and getting there are two different things. And some of you guys know that. You come to these seminars, you go back, you're all fired up, you go to your churches, you're like, this time is going to be different. <laughs> and I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray for an extra hour every morning and I'm going to ask the Lord for the outpouring of the Spirit. Everything we do just doesn't seem to move the rest of the, wor or the work and the rest of the church. And so we're in the churches, working with the pastors, working with the members, and trying to find out what is working, what isn't working, and why what, is, why what works does, and what have you. And we're going to be sharing with you. We've learned some things. We're still learning, but we're going to be sharing some of that practical stuff with you this week. Now, we've started this week with a little overview of that mission mindset. And then Pastor Wes this morning was just giving very practical ways. In fact, I've had people say, well, I've heard that before, and that's real basic stuff. But, you know, you kind of always start with walking before you run, you know, training wheels before you take them off, that kind of thing. And I know that there are people, and there are probably some of you here, who really don't do much active witnessing. I usually run into that. I mean, you know about it, you believe in it, but you just, it's like, I just never know how to do it. So we wanted Pastor West to give some very practical ways, besides just knocking on doors, which he talked about this morning, and it is still effective, as, as Pastor West brought up this morning, but some people think if you don't cold, we call it cold calling when you knock on the door of somebody you never met. I mean, there's, there's going to somebody's house and following up with a visit. But then when you, you know, we usually talk about going out and knocking on doors or talking about doing surveys or something on people we've never, ever met before. And I know some church members who think that's, that's what it means if I want to be a witness, you know, go out witnessing, and that's just not me. And so Pastor West shared a lot of different ways that are not nearly as invasive that you can do to find interest to begin preparing that soil with and start to move towards um, sowing gospel seed and studying with them. So what we're doing this afternoon is we're going to be talking about Bible studies. Um, in Michigan, for a while now, we've been working with something called BibleStudyOffer.com. You aware of that? Now, I'll tell you, BibleStudyOffer.com is awesome. It's amazing. But... I've got a lot of negativity about it. There's a lot of, because of challenges people run into when they're trying to follow up on an interest. Well, I had somebody request BibleStudyOffer.com. I went by and they said, hey, wait a minute. I didn't think anybody's coming by my house. I thought I was getting this by mail. 
And I've had more responses from the saints. It's like, why? You're putting me in this uncomfortable and awkward situation. We're going to talk about that a little bit here this afternoon as we get into what I want to talk about. Beyond that is whatever way it is that you get a Bible study, you know, Pastor Wes had talked about ways to share. Sooner or later, if you're going about what we're talking about, somebody's going to say yes to that study. I'm going to give you a way today that will guarantee 95% of you getting Bible studies even before you leave camp meeting. Something that somebody challenged me with at one of the first camp meetings I attended years and years ago, and I've tried it with people, and it just works across the board. So I'm going to talk to you about that. So what happens when somebody says yes, or multiple people say yes? I've, the, what I'm going to share with you today, I shared with, a, in fact, the young lady was here earlier today, but she came to uh, an Emmanuel session we had about, I think it was two years ago, and I gave the same challenge I'm going to give you, and the same surefire method that I'm going to give you today. And she was just so sure nobody would say yes. So she asked five people and five people said yes. Now all of a sudden she had five Bible studies and didn't know how am I going to do this? She's like, pastor, what do I do? I got these five Bible studies. I told you, I told you it was going to work. Um, they don't all say yes, but the point is what happens when you get to that place and you're like, okay, I got a Bible study. How many of you here have given Bible studies? Don't be afraid if you haven't. I mean, it's not how about if I'm learning? Good. I'm thrilled with that. I'm just thrilled you're here. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you that if you've given Bible studies, Bible studies, they're not rocket science. Uh, let me say this about Bible studies. Bible studies, when we say Bible studies in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we're talking about, did we pray yet? I don't remember it, so I'm going to do it again. I think I did, but I, I just want to do it again. I'm just like, okay, when, you know, sometimes I'll get started and then I'll transition, but I'm in this foggy place like, did I do this? Lord, if I didn't do it, I need to do it. So let's pray again. And, and if, if, we, if we did pray, anyway, let's bow our hands. Father in heaven, of course, as I bow my head, I'm recalling praying, but I also am recalling that we really need your guidance and direction here. Lord, we don't want to just come to camp meeting and listen to seminars. We really want to be effective workers in the cause of truth. And Lord, there are things I know you want to accomplish so much more through each one of us than we have yet accomplished and things we couldn't even imagine or begin to think of. So as we're talking about Bible studies and leading people into the truth, I just ask that your spirit, the spirit of truth, would guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. When we talk about Bible studies in the Adventist church, I made this point yesterday, and some people misunderstand it, so I'm hoping to clarify and not be misunderstood. I made the point that uh, one of the folks here had asked, he'd been studying with some Muslims and was kind of at this impasse where they're like, okay, well, we'll study with you if you read the Quran. And, you know, okay. Uh, I'm not going to say, look, I've read, I've read the Book of Mormon. I've read some of this other. I'm not going to say don't read. If you're in this, in there, say you read this. In fact, you might pick a chapter and just give them a powerhouse chapter or a book in the Bible and say, okay, I'll read it. You read this and make sure they read it. I mean, but I'm, what I told the gentleman yesterday was in many cases like that, what you're running into is somebody who simply isn't interested in truth now. And I, and I want to clarify that now. What I mean by that is, um, and this is where we get into not just the, the Muslim crowd, but you go and you have a Christian friend, and you say, hey, would you like to do Bible studies? And they're like, yeah, that'd be interesting. I'd love that. I'd love that. Well, I've got this set of studies. 
well, I'm not, I don't know if I want to go through those studies. Why don't we pick a book of the Bible, like John or something? Now, I'm going to tell you what's happening there. What's happening there is they're telling you in a polite way, I really don't want to know your Adventist stuff. Okay, I want to know. No, that, hey, look, the book of John is powerful, and there's a lot of stuff in it. But what's happening in that situation is that this is a person who is not open to the third angel's message. Okay, don't give up on him, but here's the problem. While that person isn't interested, you know people in your circle of influence that are interested, and you may not realize that yet, that are interested and need that truth now. I want, I want that's where my focus is. Because here's the reality of it, folks. Jesus is coming soon. And I don't care what denomination. People say, well, you don't have to be a Seventh-day Adventist to be saved. It's true. God's, God's got people in every denomination. But I'm going to tell you this. When the final test comes, if they haven't been disabused in their mind of the errors that the devil has paved the way with, they're going to fall. And they're not going to be ready when Jesus comes. It's just the reality. And it may not be a reality that you're on board with. And I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to be able to present the message with any kind of conviction. I believe that with all my heart. And I know people disagree with me. And, and I know that time is going to tell. Time is going to tell. The, the message God has entrusted Seventh-day Adventists with is a message designed to prepare the world for the coming of Christ. It's not designed as the only message to save people. There are saved Christians in other denominations. But God has given this church a special message of preparing the world for the coming of Christ. And so when we're giving Bible studies, our Bible studies are, have a specific intent. And you'll go and you'll look at the Amazing Facts Bible studies and it is written Bible studies and, and any number of Adventist Bible studies and you have the same basic flow in the study. It's presenting what we understand as present truth. You're going to have a study that talks about the great controversy. You're going to have a study that talks about Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, and you're going to get into Revelation 13, and you're going to get into Babylon, and you're going to get into the rapture, and all of these things, because these are things that other Christians are confused on. Now, I'm saying that to say the studies are not intended to be a comprehensive study on every topic. So a study, a Bible study on the Sabbath, that's not every... How many of you... Oh, I wish I had the book. I'm trying to think of the book that, that there's a book that um, one of our seminarians put out recently called The Lost Day or has anybody seen this? It's like this thick on the Sabbath. Okay. A little one hour Bible study is not exhausting the subject of the Sabbath. It's not supposed to. The one hour evangelistic meeting did not exhaust the subject on the Sabbath. It's not like, okay, I heard on the Sabbath. I'll never have to study anything else on the Sabbath again. You understand what I'm saying? But they were never intended to do that. They're intended to point, to pick those specific areas that will prepare a person to accept the Sabbath. And in their own experience, they can continue to learn and study as we all do. So when we're talking about giving Bible studies, when I give Bible studies to somebody, I want to give them a set of lessons that will help them to understand present truth. There are other studies they're going to get. You know, there's something that I, I think this is interesting. It's a little off topic, not way off topic. So it's enough on topic that we'll look at it. If you go with me to Acts 15, uh, in fact, this was in our Sabbath school lesson recent, one of our Sabbath school lessons recently. Um, this is the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, and they decided some things in that Jerusalem Council that they were going to teach the new believers. Acts 15... And uh, let's look at Acts 15, verse 
19. Acts 15, verse 19. You have that? Now, this is what, you know, the, the contention was, do we make the new believers get circumcised? And some were yes, and some were no. And as they went out and discussed this as a church, this is the conclusion in verse 19. It says, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. What do all of these things have in common? Does anybody know? They're all part of pagan worship practices. And if the Gentiles were continuing in those things, it would draw them right back into those old habits. So this was like in the here and now, these were the essentials to teach the new believers. Now, here's what happens. I've had people say, well, in the New Testament church, that's all they required of the new believers. That's not true. You'll see it in the next verse. Notice what it says. It's, I don't know why people miss this one. Notice the next verse. Verse 21 starts with what word? In the New King James, it starts with the word for. What's another word for that? Because. Okay? This is what we're going to do. We're going to have them abstain from these four things only because, listen, known to, I'm sorry, because, i got to find my place again. Thank you. Because Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues, what? Where do they expect the new believers to be going to church, by the way? In the synagogues every Sabbath. And what are they going to hear when they go to the synagogues? They're going to hear all the other stuff. They're going to get the other stuff. Right now, we need to get them away from the idolatry. We need to make that plain. But they're going to get the rest of the stuff. And so it is when we give Bible studies. We're not exhausting every topic. We're hoping they're going to get that as they grow in their Christianity. So I, I say this because some people marginalize Bible studies. And they say, well, we should be telling them more about this and that and the other. We will. <laughs> they're going to get it by God's grace. But the Bible studies, when I give Bible studies, the, the lessons you're going to find in the Adventist church pick any number of lessons, is designed to lead people into what we call the present truth. Yes, sir? Now, when you're doing Bible studies, are, are you, are you actually studying that, that one part of the Bible, or, or do most of their lessons skip from, page, from, from place to place throughout the Bible? Most of the lessons are topical. And so a topical lesson is different. It's just like a sermon. You can have a sermon that's an exe exegetical lesson where you're breaking down the passage and you're, and you're, or you can go with a topical. But any topical study is obviously going to take the topic and go through different passages and compare what the Bible says on the topic. And so when we're talking Bible study, if, if your Bible study is intended to convey a topic, it's going to be a topical study and it's going to go different places like that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a handout. If I could get a couple volunteers and... Where we're going in the handout is from that assumption that you have found somebody who said, thank you very much, gentlemen, who says, yes, I'd, be, I'd love to have, do Bible studies, and you get yourself a set of Bible study lessons, and what do you do now? And that's what we're going to do, is we're going to walk through what a Bible study would look like with a set of doctrinal Bible study lessons or topical Bible study lessons. I'll let you get that in your hands. And we're going to be highlighting, and it's just one page, front and back. We're going to be highlighting what make, what I, some things through the years. Let me explain to you. I'll let you get that in your hands. And I want to explain to you a little bit about Bible studies.
that's not it. Oh, <laughs> okay, well now, let me see what I have here. I have this big stack of things, and some of you have the wrong. You should have one that says how to give a really good Bible study. Who doesn't have that? I have, okay, these are all, okay, there's a whole bunch on this side that didn't. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, you're getting, you're getting, um, you're getting them. Sorry. I don't know what happened there. I have everything in here looks like it's the same thing, so you'll get it. That looks like yesterday's, yes. We have yesterday's, but you can ask me after class or during the break. Now, um, just in case you didn't notice, we're doing our manual session different this year. It's a full session like we do. Everything's building on another thing. However, we, I've had people say, I can't come to that. I'm going to go to this, that, and the other. That's fine. So we've opened it up. It's in seminar blocks. But what that means is what we're doing here is part one and part two. So this, this set of 2.15, 3.15 is part one. And then 3.30 to 4.30 is part two. And the schedule's on the door, and it's in one big block. But that's just basically how, how we're doing it. So there will be a break in between. But if you make a break during that break, then you miss the second half. Okay, does everybody have a handout that says how to give a really good Bible study? Sounds like we do. Okay. So something that I don't have the opportunity to do as much. I'm wanting to try to do this at camp meeting. Um, we've done it before, but it's, it's a little, it can be a little more complicated. Part of it is time involved. And um, our, when we started with the Emanuel Institute, our, we did, our full session was a 14-week session. And so we were, we were seven hours a day, six days a week for 40, well, I should say, and Sabbath. I mean, we're all day Sabbath, either getting ready for evangelistic meeting and an evangelistic meeting. We just were going full on all the time. And so we had a lot more time. And when we got into the Bible studies, what we would do is we would take our students and we would divide them up. So I'd give the course on how to give a Bible study, and I would give them Bible study lessons and I would tell them to prepare those lessons, and we would schedule a date. And they knew that when you come to class next Tuesday, you're going to give each other Bible studies. We're going to divide you up, and you're going to sit with two of you at a table. And then one of you is going to give a full one-hour Bible study. It might be less than that, but we gave you an hour. And then you're going to flip, and then the other one's going to give a Bible study. And you're not going to give the same one. So if you're going to prepare this one, your partner's going to prepare that one, and whatever. And that's and when the students did that, then we'd come to class, and we would say that you guys do, Paula, you, and you guys do a Bible study together, and we would just kind of meander around the room, and you'd be doing your study, and I would come over, and I would just sit down, and I'd listen to the study like this, and it really made the students nervous. I don't know why. I always told him, I was, I said, just pretend I'm a guardian angel coming to help you influence the mind of the person you're studying with, but we would listen for the different kinds of, you know, it's one thing to teach in class, and it's so funny how you can go over stuff in class a hundred times, and the student's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got it, we got it, and then the things you told them not to do, bam, very first thing they're doing in the study is that thing you told them not to do in the study, but through the years, I've drawn out, in here, I've drawn out what I think are some of the key differences that make a study either less interesting or more interesting when you're giving somebody a Bible study. So I've distilled it down to one page front and back. There's more in here probably than it looks like, but that's what we're going to talk about. There's a lot more that I could say about giving Bible studies, but I think it distills down to this. As the point I was making earlier is 
most of the Bible study lessons that we have are question and answer lessons. It's not hard to read a question. Here's the question. And then look up, you know, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. I mean, where's the challenge in that? So that, I mean, the idea that we need to train people to do that, you can get that part. You can ask a question to give an answer, but how you do it, that's what I'm focusing on here. So I'm making some assumptions, but I don't think they're huge assumptions. I think you can give a question and answer study, but I'm going to talk about how, how, you know, those differences as we go through this. The first thing there, number one, is the prerequisite to any and all soul winning work is to remember that the work and its results are what? I, I, you know, I, and I, I've got to be careful because the same thing I would say to you, I have to say to myself a hundred times over. It's easy to know that the Lord is in control, but it's not easy to know. <laughs> so we don't recognize it the way we should sometimes. Soul winning work, let's be very clear. There's not a single one of us here who can lead a soul to the kingdom. I, there's just no, it's a divine spiritual work. We can't do it. And so when we're talking about anything with soul winning and witnessing and whatever, we've got to be dependent on the Lord. And if there's anybody who knows that, it's the Lord. And so we, you know, we say, well, but I'm not a very good talker. I'm not. A, the, the. What if you were? Would that make the difference? No. In fact, it would make it worse in most cases because you would be too proud to be used by the Lord. So the very first prerequisite is to remember the, the work and its results are the Lord's. Now, I'm not one of those people. I, you may be one or you may know those, person, those people who will say, oh, yeah, that statement, there's a statement on Great Controversy, page 519. It's da -da -da -da. I don't remember page numbers real well. This is one of the handful that I do. And what helps me remember what we're about to read and I'll read it in a minute, but I, is, is the passage that I think goes perfectly with it. And that passage is Psalm 127, verse 1. So why don't you take your Bibles and go to Psalm 127, verse 1, and then we're going to read Evangelism 127. You'll see where, where we're going with this. But we're going to go back and look at Psalm 127, verse 1. This is just a phenomenal verse for anybody really in any phase of your, your Christian experience, but especially in witnessing, it speaks to me. Psalm 127, verse 1. The Bible says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they what? They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain for no purpose. Uh, it's fascinating for a number of reasons. Number one, the people are building a house. The watchman is watching the city. There's nothing that says, hey, don't build a house. There's nothing that says, oh, you can't watch the city. You need to build a house. You need to watch the city. It's not excluding us from our part, but it's saying if we're doing our part without the Lord, it's worthless. The man needs to build a house, but he needs to know the, the Lord's got to be in charge. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord watches the city, I mean, <laughs> you know, what's, uh, oh, I could go on about this. We talk about, we've got big uh, discussions about protection today in churches and stuff, and that's all good, but let's, let's just be clear. Unless the Lord watches us, unless the Lord's in charge, unless the Lord's going to protect, there's no protection. There is no, so anyway, in, in, in the context of that, or in that 
with that thought in mind, I, I read this passage in the book Evangelism. And this is what Ellen White says. She says, there's far more being done by the universe of heaven than we have any idea of in preparing the way so that souls shall be what? I don't know how you could say that and make it more. There's not more being done. There's far more being done. Not by God or by Jesus or by the angels, by the universe of heaven. I mean, language couldn't be clearer that every spiritual force is thoroughly invested in the conversion of souls. That should encourage us in the work of reaching people for the kingdom. All heaven. So when I, when I go to witness, who am I working with? All heaven. And who's the power behind all of it? All of heaven. It's not me. It's not my abilities. Yes, sir. Um, when you're doing a Bible study, where it's good to start off a Bible study where the one that talks about where Jesus is our foundation? Certainly. But we'll get, we'll get into that in a little bit. I mean, there, where to start, There's a we'll get into that in a little bit. Good question, yes. Sure quote, Evangelism page 127. Okay, Yeah, so that's where I'm, my Psalm 127. Now notice, okay. it goes on. We want to work in harmony with the messengers of heaven. We want more of God. And I, I, now I regret, I did this again. I was trying to make this more succinct, but there's a piece that's not here. So I'm going to say what it, the ellipsis does not say. We want more of God. We do not want to feel that it is our talking and our sermonizing that is to do the work. I don't know why I left that out. It's so important. I'll explain it in a minute. That ellipsis there, I'm going to read that sentence again with the missing piece. We want more of God. We do not want to feel that it is our talking and our sermonizing that is to do the work, we want to feel that unless the people are reached through God, they will never be reached. Now again, that doesn't mean we don't talk. That doesn't mean we don't give sermons. Just like the man, he still builds his house. The watchman still watches the city. But we want our focus to be, we want to realize that whatever we accomplish is dependent on the power and strength of God. Now, we don't want to feel like it's our talking and our sermonizing. We look at statements like this one way, and I want you to look at it a different way. I'm going to tell you right now that you probably look at that as the braggart, the boastful person, our talking and our sermon. What does a person look like who believes it's his talking and his sermonizing that's accomplishing the work? I'm going to say immediately you're thinking about the person's like, oh, I'm so good, right? It's my talking and my, that accomplishes the work. We don't want to think that way. But I'm going to flip that on you. What about, before I flip it on you, do you understand what I just said? What do you think? Is that what, is that, how many of you think that way when you say, what does a guy look like who thinks it's, his, it's all his talking and his finesse that does the work? How many of you, when you hear that, you're thinking of somebody who's really big on themselves? Is that just me? What do you think of when a person's thinking it's all their talking and all sermonizing? Here, here. Go ahead. Well, I'm thinking that when it doesn't work and when they don't respond, it was me. It was my fault. I didn't present it right. And that's, that's the same thing. That's exactly the same thing. And that's where, for, for my mind, when I'm thinking about somebody who thinks it's their talking that does all the work, my mind tends to the person who's boastful. But 
what I think most, and I don't think most of us fall in that category. I don't think most of us here today are like, I'm so good. I can win any soul for Jesus. I'm such a smooth talker. I'm so good. I don't think that's our problem. But here is what I do think our problem is. This is what we do. I'm so bad at it. Every time I try to witness, I mess it up. I flubbed it up again. I went and I said this and I said that, these stupid things. And that is the very same thing. You're still thinking it's your talking that's doing the work. And so the point here, this prerequisite is, this is God's work. God knows the material he's dealing with. When God asked you to witness to your friends and your neighbors and your family members, we'd ask me to witness. He knows what he's dealing with. He knows our limitations. He knows our weaknesses. And yet he still asks us to do it. And we should have confidence that he's going to enable us to do what he's asked us to do. That is prerequisite to any soul winning work, including giving Bible studies. And if you can receive that, it will give you much more confidence uh, I, I'm telling you, it goes this way with sermons. I was talking, I don't know where I was the other day. I don't think it was here. It may have been somewhere else that, that maybe it was here in class. But there's a tendency of a pastor. I mean, you know, God calls upon pastors to preach things you don't want to preach. I'm going to tell you right now. Sometimes, uh, sometimes people think that the pastor really just must enjoy um, hammering at the saints. You know, you preach a sermon and I've had God direct me in, in things to preach that I just don't want to preach. Oh, Sabbath morning comes. It's just like, I feel sick. I don't want to do it. If I could get out of it in any way, I would. And then, you know, of course, you preach it, and the saints are like, well, he just must really get off on doing that kind of thing. Just getting up and yelling at people, which, I, you know, I'm trying to, but you understand what I'm saying. Um. I was going somewhere with that. <laughs> I was going to make a point with that. And I, it'll come back to me. Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. But uh, there are Bible studies you aren't going to want to give. Um, but the point is, in all of it, I'll get back to that, that the prerequisite to any kind of work is to trust it. That's what I was going to say. What I was going to say is, for a pastor, especially when you have those uncomfortable sermons, there's nothing the human heart longs for more than, than some kind of approval afterwards. And when it's early in ministry, you know what I'm talking about, Harry? I mean, I'm not, we battle it as pastors, but you know, you'd love to hear somebody say, thank you, pastor, praise the Lord. And you're like, Whew. you know, how are they going to take it? And you look for, it's human. Ellen White says that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he longed for that human sympathy. That's humanity. And the humanity in him long, and he didn't get it. And in ministry, and I'm not just talking about pastoral ministry, we can't look to people for approbation and approval. We've got to look to God for approval. And that's why I'm saying that when, when we grasp, we really grasp this work is God's work, and we find our approval from God, there's a peace in doing that, and there's a confidence that comes in witnessing. And, and even if you say something and share a tract or whatever, and whatever reaction you get, there's a trust that God is going to use it in ways that I may not even see. I've told students stories of people that slam doors and other things like that, that, that there have been people, I've, I've heard people who've come into the church and the person who witnessed to them has passed away or never heard the end result of that person coming and they'll go, you know what led me into the church is way, way back when somebody came to my door to and I slammed the door on them and they left and I never saw them again, but then I thought to myself, I'm never rude to people like that. Why was I so rude to that person? And I began to realize that some, there was a battle going on inside of me. And it made me start to think about what I was doing. And then I thought, maybe I should be thinking about Jesus coming and blah, blah, blah. And the person who got the door slammed never knew that. 
There are people we've witnessed to who we will never know this side of heaven. But we can have that calm confidence that God has called us to a work. He's enabled us. He's empowered us. And he's going to bring a harvest. Yes, sir. So is it easier to preach a sermon on, uh, on being saved and how, how Jesus saved? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and instead of preaching the fire and brimstone? Yeah, well, I try not to preach fire and brimstone, but... But it's certainly, you know, if you're calling for, a, if you're preaching a sermon or giving a Bible study, let me just tell you, say, tell you this. When you're giving your Bible studies and you do the salvation study, I mean, honestly, yeah, somebody's going to be really mad at you because you tell them God loves them and wants to save them. No, it's going to be the study and lifestyle that you're worried about. You're going to talk about health and you know that they love their, their rib sandwiches or whatever else. That's when you're going to be nervous about giving the study. So, and it's just, it's human and it's, and, and I'm not saying to be a tactless, but we'll go on. We'll get to that. Okay, so that's a prerequisite. Let's go to number two. Tips for giving better Bible studies. The first tip here, some of this may seem and sound obvious. I'm telling you, it seemed and sounded obvious to students, and then when I divided them up to give studies, I saw that it was more obvious here than it was in practice. The first thing is to assume the role of teacher. Now, I found an interesting fact out when I came in the Sabbath school department. I'm the associate director of our Sabbath school department. And I went to a convention at the beginning of this year for the North American division on the adult ministries, and they had a thing on Sabbath school, adult Sabbath schools. And I went to the adult Sabbath school class. Now, something that's perplexed me for, for and I got to go beyond saying perplexed me, it grates me, okay? There's just certain things that, and, and it, it, one thing that really bugs me in Sabbath schools, and I just don't take offense at this, please, but uh, there's this expression that people get up to lead the class and they say, now, I'm not the teacher, I'm just the facilitator, okay? Now, some people don't mean a lot by that. They're repeating what they've heard. But what that basically is saying is this, I'm not here to teach you anything, I'm here to let you guys give your opinions and then we'll call it good. That's not class. Can you imagine paying for your child's credit hours in college or helping to pay the college bill and the professor gets up and says, no, I'm not gonna teach you guys anything in class, I'm just gonna let you all tell your opinions and we're gonna go home and at the end of the quarter, I'll give you a passing grade. You would just be irate, it's like, why am I paying for this? They can go get their opinions from their friends somewhere else and I don't have to pay how many dollars a credit hour right? But we do it when we, in this teaching, you know, this, whether it be Sabbath school classes, Bible studies, we get this mindset, and I think we get the mindset because we feel like, well, but to assume the role of a teacher, that's kind of saying I'm the expert on everything. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, if I say I'm the teacher, then I'm kind of putting myself up here. No, you're not. And I'll give you a practical example. How many of you have ever given instruction on anything to somebody else? Anything. Could be, oh, how to change your oil. Oh, let me show you how to fix that thing on your lawnmower or anything. You know, internet stuff because you're, somebody's not techie and you're like, oh, all you got to do is this. Take the laptop and why do you do that? Because you think you're so smart? Because you think you're an expert in everything? No, you know something about that and you want to share that blessing with somebody else. Isn't that true? When it comes to Bible studies, when it comes to sharing truth, God has revealed things to you and that indebts us to others to share those things with them. It's not putting yourself on a pedestal. I'm not saying that some people don't or can't. But when it comes to teaching, you need to assume that role as teacher and not feel like you're being arrogant. I mean, don't be arrogant about it. I'm going to tell you something that will happen when you're in Bible studies on a regular basis 
is people will ask you questions you don't know the answer to. Whatever you do, and you've probably heard this before, don't try to pass it off like you know the answer. <laughs> I went on a Bible study. Now, we did this with the students, and we also went into homes with them on their real Bible studies. So I had, there was a student, there were two students, we paired them up, they went into a Bible study. I went with them, and because I went with them, I wasn't regular, was, I was their friend who they brought along. I'm not going to get in there and... You don't want to go in there as the friend and then kind of take over and then they say, oh, you must have brought somebody with you, the big guns, and they're coming. You don't want to do that. So I was just their bystander. So I wasn't there to talk or to lead. Well, this young man, he, he had just done the study with the Antichrist with this Catholic man the week before. So now they're on the follow-up. And so this guy's coming back and he's like, well, we don't teach that you've got to go to the priest for salvation. And we don't teach, which... And, and, and so he goes into a passage, I forget where he went, but he's like way off topic. And I'm thinking, what is he doing? This is the student. He's, and, and I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're reading through a passage of scripture, 20 some verses. He's trying to break it down as we go. I'm not talking, I'm just thinking, I'm praying. I'm thinking, Lord, just, you know, help this, but whatever is going on here, and two things were happening there, and there was another thing that was happening, and that is his partner, he would be going through the passage, then he would pause, and there was nothing. It's like radio silence. You don't want that when you're going into a study where you just, just nobody's saying anything. You're just kind of, and, the, and his partner wasn't saying anything. So after the study, of course, we, then I got, oh, I was glad to get out of there and say, okay, guys, what happened? And this is what he said. He said, I didn't know the answer to the question he asked. So I was just reading through that passage and hoping and praying that somehow the Lord would give me an answer. He didn't want to just say, you know what, I don't know it. He wanted to come across like an expert because he thought he would lose credibility with the guy. So here he is. I'm telling you, we were 25 minutes or something just going through this passage. I'm like, where is he going? And I'm sure the guy thought the same thing. So I asked his partner, when he was struggling, why didn't you jump in? Well, because she says, I'm the silent prayer partner. You ever heard that before? The silent... When you go in and you team up and you're the partner, the prayer partner, that doesn't mean you're not allowed to speak. It just means the other person leads. They take the lead. And if they stumble, that's when you're allowed to come in and kind of help out so he can think. But he, he didn't have that with her to be able to come in and talk. So he had to keep talking and try to think while he was talking and going through the passage. When you don't know the answer, just say, you know what, I, I don't know that. I don't know the answer, but I'd be glad to look at, into it, and I'll come back next week, and I'll tell you what I found, or the next Bible study. I had somebody just recently tell me, new to the church, that that's what impressed them the most about studying with the Adventist, the person they studied with, because they said, I knew that he would not give me an answer unless he knew it from the Bible. If he didn't have a Bible answer, he didn't make anything up. He would say, I don't know it, and he would go find it, and he would bring it back. And that gave me confidence in what he was saying. So don't think you've got to know everything to give a Bible study that that's going to give. That's, it's the exact opposite of that. Yes? Um, in a case where we get a lead that is interested, mm -hmm. we watched uh, um, prophet, uh, Voice of Pro uh, Prophecy, or they watched someone, and they sent in a card, and that organization send it to the nearest church. Yes. Kind of how we get our leads. Right. So in a case like that, uh, I'm just trying to see what I can expect. The person 
that is coming from that, that direction with that mindset, are they more passive? Uh, like what can, a majority of the time, majority of them, are they more quiet and waiting for you to teach everything? Or are they directing, wanting, I mean, what are they doing? Okay, I mentioned this, I mentioned this yesterday. It's, it's similar, it's not apples to apples, but uh, when I've done training before, you know, I had a situation where I had some Bible workers working for me in one of my churches, and they got to the point where, you know, you typically, when you're going out and going door-to-door and doing door-to-door work and trying to get Bible studies, there are two main kinds of studies you're going to get. You're going to get in-home studies and drop-off studies. In-home studies, when a person says, yeah, I'd be love to do lessons, come on over next week, we'll sit down and we'll study the Bible together. You follow a lesson, whatever else, but you're going to come in person. The other group is the drop-off. They're like, no, I don't necessarily want anybody coming by to give me the study, but you can drop lessons off and I'll look at the lessons, okay? And so those are your two main things. Well, drop-off studies are, don't, at least they don't start out with, the, you know, I mean, a person saying, yeah, come to my house and we'll sit down and study the Bible. They seem like they're going to be much more interested than a drop-off study. Anyway, so these Bible workers said, you know, we've just decided we're doing away with drop-off studies. We're not going to do them anymore. We're going to go to the door. We're going to say, do you want to study the Bible together? And if they're like, no, we don't want you to come. If it's anything besides an in-home, we're not doing it. And I thought, that doesn't sound like good practice to me. So I asked him this question. I was, we were working with the church, and, and it, was an, it was Sabbath afternoon training that we were doing, and we, our Bible workers were there as well. And I said, let me ask you guys a question. And I asked this yesterday. How many of you, if somebody came and knocked on your door and said, hey, do you want to do Bible studies? Would you be like, yeah, I'd love to? I find that most Seventh-day Adventists would not. Most would not. Most Christians would not. Some of you say, oh, yeah, I would. Why? Is it because you want to know the truth or you want to share the truth? Most of the people who say that is because they say, and I would, I'd love to. But you know why I would? Because I'm going to sit them down and I'm going to share with them what the Bible says. Right? Come and study with me. I'm confident in my faith. I'm going to share with them. And so most of the people, when you knock on the door and like, yeah, I went in home right now, the reality is they're probably not as open. They're probably the least open people. They're ready to share the truth with you because they already know it. That's the mindset. Now, I, it's not across the board. So the drop-off study that may seem to be less interested is probably just evaluating things and trying to find out who you are in this kooky world that we live in before they have enough confidence to go the next step. And I've encountered that a number of times. Um, all of this said to just say, so when you're asking about a, a card, when somebody mails in a card, um, it's hard to say. You've got people, they requested a study. So there's an interest. There's certainly a level of interest. To what degree? Uh, uh, it's hard to say because people are just all different. I wish I could tell you that everybody is this or everybody is that. No, most of, the, if a person filled out a card, they didn't fill it out unless they're interested. Most of those are interested. No, they filled it out except for the cards that their brother or sister or husband or somebody else filled out for them, and then it's going to be a different situation. But if a person actually filled out the card, they have an interest. I'm telling you, if so, there are people, people are different, and there are some people that are intensely interested, but they're also very shy. 
And you might read that as, well, they're not interested. Don't do that. You can't assume things like that. Okay, I got a couple hands back here. I was just going to say, we've had people sign up just because they didn't want the person to pressure them anymore that was standing in front of them. So that was the easiest way for them to get them out of there. Well, that's different than, than a mailing car. Yes. So if you're, if you're at the door and you're saying, would you eat? Yeah, there are people just to get you off the porch. My grandma used to tell people she was Catholic. She wasn't Catholic. I'm like, Grandma, you're not Catholic. Why'd you tell them that? She says, it just gets them out of the... So some people will do that, okay? Um, some people will sign up the car just to do... But uh, when you're mailing it, when they get it in the mail and they fill it out, nobody was there to tell them, and they had to do it other than the Spirit of God. And so generally, you have a better... They listen to something that yes. got their attention. There's no telling of... Like, I, I don't have a problem saying... I don't know, could you give me time to look at it? Yes. I'll come back, and that may be even better because then I can come back. Yes. So I don't have a problem saying that if I get stuck, nor do I have a problem following the instructions. But my, uh, like, what's on the, the sheet, the, the lesson. Yes. But I, I don't know what to expect <coughs> on the other side as far as communication coming back. I wish I could give you a one-size-fits-all on that. And this is where there's a lot that you do in soul winning where you just trust the Lord. Somebody asked me the other day, well, what do you do? When do you give up? You know when I give up? When they tell me not to come back. Well, they don't seem interested. doesn't matter. I'm still going to go. And I'm going to go until I, because I, that's, the Lord has this arranged it for me. I'll explain that a little bit more as we go. I saw another hand. Yes. You know, question about the cards. I mean, that's how I got into it. And I still fill out cards to get Bible studies coming to my house. I don't necessarily, when I first started, it was through BibleStudyOffer.com, got it through it, I think the Yes. Book. I didn't want somebody coming to my house, because of my mom and myself, it's like, you know what, I'm studying for myself. Yes. I didn't necessarily want somebody coming in and, you know, I don't want to be preachy, but at right. time, I was doing it for myself, because I'd already been... The Holy Spirit had already been working with me to get to that point where I actually wanted a Bible study. But you just never know about the person. I'm actually a very extremely shy. People don't see that because I'm a, I'm a substitute teacher, so I'm open to <laughs> students all the time. And I say, oh, I'm shy. And they're like, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is a different setting than out in the public. Mm -hmm. But yet, you just never know. I mean, I continually get Bible studies. I mean, Voice of the Prophecy is... You know, you get one, and then they just keep on sending you more and more. Yes. To me, it's fun to do them. That way, I have them. I make a book of them. So mm -hmm. if when, when I do start getting Bible studies, I arrange when? everything mm -hmm. out when? with them. And they can even say, this is what you'll be getting. I mean, yes. You'll be getting the book. I mean, right. Make the book. Right. But it's just my way to say, okay, here's the first Bible study, and then keep on going through it. And they can even look this is what you'll be getting. This is what we're going to go through eventually. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an excellent point. So let me do this because we're going we're gonna to take a break here shortly. So let me make this point because this, this is that question that comes in. I didn't get to it yet. We've had a lot of feedback in the conference from church members to say, why don't we put on the Bible study offer, why don't we just put a by mail thing? You know, we'll give this to you by mail or let, because right now it doesn't say that. It doesn't say you're going to get a person coming in person. Let me rephrase that. 
why don't we put on the card, that's not what they say. What, what our request is, is why don't we put on the card that somebody will come to your house? Because that's what we're doing. We get the names and then we follow up by going to the house. And, and we've had members across it. Why don't we just say that? And the advertisement will come by the house. That would, that would give us such a benefit. Of, and then people aren't like, oh, I didn't know you were coming by the house. Now, this isn't accidental. This wasn't without any kind of forethought. We've processed through this. I've been on the committees that decided how, you know, what we were going to do and have this. Uh, when Elder Gallimore was here, he sat on it. Elder Mitchell sat on it. How do we put together these Bible study offer cards? But here's the thing, and let me ask it to you this way. Is it easier for you to sell, tell somebody no over the phone or in person? Is it easier for you to tell somebody a, a no over a form or even over the phone, it's still got a personal element. It's always easier to check no than to say no to somebody. And here's the reality. We want at least one opportunity to get to the door with that person. Because I believe the Lord, where even if a person, I understand, we, when, if I'm going to somebody's house, I'm going to respect what they say. I'm not going to be invasive. If I went to my sister's house and she's like, I really wanted these through the mail, then I'll say, okay, let me get your information. We'll send it through the mail. That's no problem. But now I got a face-to-face. -face. And there's an ability I have in that setting that I don't have on the phone to show some kind of concern or care that I think the Lord is able to use through. Jesus didn't do stuff from home on the internet. Or whatever. He was personal. And I believe the Lord uses that. And so that's why in the Bible study offer material, we could do that. But we may never get the opportunity for a one-on-one. -on -one. And I'd rather have one of those than none of them. So we the re should, in those cards, we should go visit. And I would always go visit with the mindset that I'm not going for an extended visit. I take the material. And when the person, if the person says, you know, I thought I was going to get it through the mail, I say, well, this is how we usually do it. I'm not going to back around and say, this is how we usually do it. We bring it by. That way, if you have questions, we can help with the questions, whatever. And they say, yeah, but I would just prefer to start out for now if I do it by mail. I'm not going to berate them and push them, I'll say, okay, well, let me get your information, and we'll put that down, and we'll send it out. And the other thing that I'm going to do when I do that is I'll send it by mail, but when I get into several studies, especially when I come to the Sabbath study, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to visit them and say, how's it going? And because I've been there on that first time, I've not been, they know I'm not hovering over them, but it makes it easier for me to go back at that time, and the Lord will use those, those, the Lord prepares the way, and I really believe that he'll do that. Yes, I had a question back here and here and here, and then we're going to take our break. Okay, in that sense, when you do those, don't that show more that you're caring, you're interested about it? I think it does. It's more on a personal note because you took the time out of your day to go by their house? I think it communicates that. Even if a person doesn't want the in-home, I think, and that, that's why we stuck with the way we do it. You'll note that it does not say on any of the Bible study offer material that nobody's, nobody's going to come to your house. It doesn't say that. There's nothing to give the indication that you're not going to see a person. It's just that people make a, sometimes people make assumptions. But I think it does communicate that care more. Andrea? I'm just going to add a comment that we, our church, had done BibleStudyOffer.com. It was very successful for a while. And um, to make a long story short, um, church leadership decided to do mail-outs instead of going to visiting people. And when we switched from... From visiting people, when we were getting Bible studies and did the mail out, we got not a single Bible study. It just yeah, it's 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 easier to say no over the phone or whatever than it is to get that personal through the mail. Uh, it just is. Yes. 
was just wondering, like, that first um, visit at the door, and you're giving that Bible study, and they're wanting to just do do it to themselves. Yes. Um, it would it be okay to give your phone number? Like, yes, absolutely. Here's my cell phone number. You wouldn't have that same ability and opportunity if you weren't there in person. Right. So that's where, yes, all of those kinds of things. That way you're able to make yourself accessible without being, you know, pushy. You're there one time, they've, okay, fine, we'll leave you, but let me give you this and this and this. Like I said, I think, who was I talking to recently? Um, you know, there are a lot of people today, you know, the, the, the denominational churches are shrinking and the mega churches are growing. And so most people know their pastor, I mean, in big cities, people know their pastor behind 10,000 other people in these mega churches. The idea that, a, that, that anybody spiritual would come to them personally it just says a lot. And I had, I think it was a testimony this last Sabbath that somebody said, wow, when I got a visit from the pastor, I was like, wow, this is, I don't know if it was here or where I was. But that personal, again, Christ was personal. And there's something about that. Uh, I mean, you want to be on your best behavior. <laughs> but when you go on those, it, and, you know, your intention is not to push at them and stay. You offer the material. Make yourself accessible. Leave them whatever material and your contact information, and I think that paves the way for them being more open to doing the, the studies. Um, and that's what we've seen anyway. Uh, you're always going to have exceptions to that. Keep in mind, the devil does not want you at that door. They do not want the, he does not want them taking those studies, and he's going to try to interfere whatever way he can. But I think he has less ability to interfere when you're there in person. Was there another hand that I saw? Okay, let's go ahead. We're gonna, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to break, and then at 3.30, we'll begin in, in part two. Father in heaven, I do thank you so much for choosing to use us in this work, to let us yoke up together with Christ and learn of him through service. Now, Father, I pray that you would continue to bless us through this camp meeting. We ask in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.